Welcome to the Before Midnight Podcast, coming to you from the N Plus One studios overlooking beautiful downtown Frankfurt. In this podcast, we explore the world of age group triathletes. We'll be looking at the real world challenges of being an amateur multi-sport athlete. I'm your host, Linda Word, along with my co-host, Brian Schenkenfelder. What's going on, Brian? Life's good. Life's good. We've uh... The sun is out. The sun is out today. We, we, we're we contractually obligated here. to talk about the weather, apparently. Yes. We came off a great weekend. Yes, we did. Uh, got some sun, pretty good amount of sun over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, it's gotten cold again, though. So yay. Yay for cold weather. But it's sort of like the end is near, so, you know. That's the theory. Although it's supposed to be cold like all week. Yeah, there's a couple big races this weekend. There's the Derby Half Marathon, and Full Marathon is Saturday, and the Flying Pig is on Sunday. Well, I think it's supposed to get up to 70 this weekend. Yeah, chance of rain. So hopefully it's not going to be too bad on Saturday morning for the Derby race. Sunday should be pretty good for the pig, though. I'm not racing either one, so Me neither. I'm completely indifferent to the weather for that race. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that are, and both of those races I have done multiple times. I did the Flying Pig Marathon four times. Actually, it was the last marathon I did back in 2019. Okay. And I've done the half once, and I've done the Derby half at least six times. So, good yeah. races. Never done any of them. They're fun. I don't do road races. <laughs> You know, do road races with, like, 30,000 people? Because that's about how many are in those flipping things. Yeah, that, that becomes kind of annoying because I've done, like, some of the small races around here with my son and wife, and it's painful enough with 200 people to line up and cattle call up through the star line. I can only imagine when you have 10 times the number. I did a, was a lead cycle for a race this weekend, that started out with about 250 people, and it was on uh, the Legacy Trail, which is, you know, it's a fairly wide, but it's a bike path. It's not, it's not a road. The race blew up to over 800 people, and okay. trying, and it was an out and back on a little path. On a little path. <laughs> so that's like trying to do a, a race in the woods on a path. Yeah, yeah, and out and back. So, I uh, I went out. I had there was two of us and. The other gentleman that was cycling is our. He's six eight, and he's a retired police officer. Gigantic man. I look like a little dwarf next to him, but I know that he's hasn't done it very much. So I knew we probably wouldn't be aggressive enough to get people out of the way. So I went in front of him, and he led the lead runners. So on the way back, it was for two high school boys that were killed last year in a car wreck. Okay. So it was you know wonderful cause, and a lot of people came out. But a lot of them were walkers, and a lot of them were teenagers, and they're just walking around. So I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, move to the right, move to the right. Well, apparently a lot of them didn't realize I was part of the race, and they just thought I was an obnoxious cyclist on just a random person. the trail trying to get them to move on their race. And so they weren't really moving, and or they'd walk back over. And then here comes this 6'8 guy on a bike behind me with their friends as the leads you know and there's only so many things you can shout out very quickly to get people to move right i finally just stuck out my left arm and i was like move to your right move to your right and i was trying to shout out lead runners coming you know and ah you know 
pe- people just aren't paying attention in not only are they not paying attention they're not runners and therefore no. they this is probably the first one they've ever done so they have no idea what's no going idea on. i talked to a lady later on because i went back out on the course it was hot it was 84 degrees these mm-hmm. people are out there over an hour many of them 84 degrees is hot it, well it's hot when you're not used <laughs> to it and you're not in shape and I was talking to a lady. I'm like, you know, you're doing okay. You know, you, you're you know, so glad to have you out here. And she was like, oh, you're part of the race. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, we're just doing this for fun of it. <laughs> Her nephew was one of the the, uh, the boys killed. And so she's like, I wouldn't be out here except that all these other people are out here for him. So I came out, you know, I had to be here. So it was pretty obvious. She had no clue how a race was run or anything. And I was like, oh, that's why nobody was getting out of my way, you know, and looked really annoyed with me. Right. They've (laughs) never, a lot of them, if it's an event like that and they're doing it for a fundraiser for an event, they would be, no idea what the protocol is for something like that. I don't know. And I don't know how to change that. Yeah. And a lot of people just, they also don't realize how fast the lead runners are either correct you know these people are rolling through very fast if they don't get out of the way they're going to get tangled up with the lead runner and they're someone's gonna get hurt yeah that's the reason you're trying to move them away not because of anything else no, no i mean it's because it also lets them know that hey there's gonna be other runners coming behind them too this is yeah. the only one coming back it's an 800 person race so you figure if, you know there's gonna be <laughs> a lot of people coming back a lot of people come back towards you so that's tough you know. i mean the problem is the race organizers should have pointed this out before the race and the pre-race talk. It's like, hey, we're going to be going. There's going to be cyclists coming back. They did. They, they obviously didn't if people were like, oh, what No, we they say all that, but people just don't pay attention. attention. They don't listen. I mean, he had it because I get all the emails. The race director had, you know, that there that this is a large race. It's on a narrow path. Please don't walk more than two abreast. You know, and got five people covering the whole path. You know, um, this is out and back. You know, you need to move. I mean, that was all in there, and it was all announced. People, you know, we were announced as cyclists, and people just they weren't listening. Well, there's two they things going know. on. They've here. just you never have, done. You it also before. have 800 people. It's the people right. in the back that aren't listening. That message probably should have been repeated multiple times as they were running. Through but they the had a big, call. you know. Uh, I mean. You, you, he did everything he could besides, like, walk up to each individual person. <laughs> I would have said something as they were going through. Remember, 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 we can't come yeah. in two wides and out and back and just keep drilling that home as they walk through. Yeah. If you do that enough, they it eventually comes through. The problem, if you just make one pre-announced erasement, a lot of people are talking, they don't really get it. Right. But if you say the same thing ten times... They get it at least one of those ten times. The reason I know this because I'm a master swim coach, <laughs> and if I <laughs> do, you have a group of people that don't listen real well. <laughs> I have to say at minimum of five or six times, and these are people that are supposed to be paying attention. I can only imagine in a race where no one is paying attention <laughs> that it's got to take at least two or three times those number of statements to be made for it to get through. 
I work with small children, and so I get that too. But oh my gosh, it was, and I mean, they got the hint finally after I went by, and it's like, oh, oh, all these people are coming behind. Well, her. yeah, reality can smack you in the face. Is really <laughs> yeah. what happens in that situation? <laughs> oh my goodness, it was very sweet because the the person that won was actually three of uh, three boys went across the finish line together. It was very sweet, and they raised. Thirty thousand dollars for the scholarship fund in the boys' names, so that was really, really That's nice. nice. That yeah, is nice. it was very nice. It was very nice. And I took advantage after the race of um, the the race director likes me because my car is little and I can fit and I can pick up all the signs <laughs> and don't have to go on the grass unless there's right. cyclists. So I did all that for him, and then I went out and biked because you don't have to deal with traffic on the Legacy Trail. So right, yeah, the so Legacy Trail. Yeah, that's a pretty small trail too. Yeah, I mean it's you know. 10 miles long, it's but 10 it's, miles long so you yeah can it's, tw- it's you great can get close to 20 in i like the legacy trail to take kind of my son and wife out on and ride you don't have to worry about traffic in those situations yeah. with my son they're not going very fast it becomes a a nice place to ride i i don't think i'd want to ride on it at speed well you can in a lot of sections. There are some sections because there's, there's you know sort there. of deserts of people you know where you're not all you're going to see is other cyclists. Right. And um, and I saw quite a few, um, but you know you I, I encountered very few walkers. Granted, it was hot. It was 84 degrees, so there weren't a whole lot of people out. You know, at four o'clock in the afternoon. By the time I started riding, um, well, the walkers tend to congregate around places to park yeah because <laughs> you only ride walk a couple miles and you have to come back and there's to actually park. only three places to park yeah you know at each end and then one spot in the middle so you've got you know you've got pretty good chunks and it's nice and flat which we don't have here in frankfurt correct so it's a great place for me to practice keeping that sustained you know pace and cadence and all that that's stuff that's what the trainer's for in the winter you got that nice trainer i do but i ride <laughs> courses that i got hills on them you forget i i don't yeah. just ride you know i'm always I watching know. videos so i i should do that more because I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty bad at that sustain i like having my brakes <laughs> well that becomes a that does a challenge if you ride in a terrain that is the opposite of what you race triathlon is a sport where people like to do well Mm -hmm. the race organizers realize this and they're like where can we make the flattest course possible that's where we're going to race indiana (laughs) or there's just there's places that are flat now the race the performance first guys Mm -hmm. todd and cynthia I, i love their races because they're like how can we make this race harder? <laughs> can we find additional hills to run this on? Because that's where we want to run our races. Yeah. So yeah. they are the anti-fast race thing. But they Let's ma- find the steepest hill we can find and have that be first. <laughs> At the same time, that makes for a more challenging race. But people don't want challenging races. They want fast races. Yeah. And Ironman has seen this too. If you if you start looking at Ironman courses, they have eliminated a lot of their challenging courses, and a lot of their mm-hmm. courses are really really flat. That's kind of sad. Well, people but, but people want, want a PR. They don't want a challenging race. Yeah. There was a company in Europe that did the whole challenging race thing. That they I was like, if business? I ever wanted to do an Ironman, I doubt it because it's like a self supported Ironman. Oh they wow. They have a, kind of a race, and you. Like the the runs, I think, on trails and stuff. Oh, nice. <laughs> and 
Well, yeah, but 26 miles in, like, Switzerland on the trails running. That's going to be a lot of elevation. Yes, and so <laughs> the biking. I was looking at them, and the only thing that really keeps me from everyone and tried is the, like, the average water temperature for these races is, like, 70. Well, I mean, if they're going to make the run challenging and they're going to make the bike challenging, they got to do something to this one. So there you go. Make it cold. But that's not challenging. That's that's just that's a pain index, pain tolerance thing. It has nothing to do with skill. I mean, some people do better in the cold than me. I would have trouble swimming in that type of an environment. I just would. I, I can't swim in those super cold waters. I, I'm not going to do the race if you put me in super cold waters. If the water was 76, 78, let's go. Or even if it was in the mid-70s, the upper 70s, where you could wear a wetsuit and, and finish, I yeah. would potentially do it. But It's just a race. I forgot what the name of the company was. But yeah, they were doing like ridiculous elevations on the bike and run. Like a real Ironman challenge. Yeah. Because they that do it that be way, it's kind of have to be self-supported. They don't really have any good way of putting together the run and the logistics of all of that in the places they do it, which are, I'm sure are pretty rural, pretty, would be yeah. very yeah. challenging, <laughs> to say the least. So what else happened this weekend or this last week? What have you been up to? It was a busy weekend. Saturday, we had Y soccer in the morning. Uh, we had the Wolves. I let my son play a little bit in that game. Probably shouldn't have. He's been chomping in the bit. I, mostly, I'm just trying to tamp down his He's got, desire what, to play. Three more days. We got a couple more days left until, in theory, we get the cast off. In theory, yeah. We're going in. If, if there's enough bone growth, I assume they'll go ahead and take the cast off, and he should be good to go at that point. I, I let him play a little bit in that game. He kind of put him in a defensive position. He didn't. He didn't really get involved in any real contact. It worked out, and he got a little taste of the game. We uh, we played well though. That was I I've got some strikers on this is my team and they played well. They we were able to connect some passes and yeah. really get some good scoring attempts and we, we won pretty handily in the game like five yeah. or six to one. They the refs missed one goal. It's hilarious because it's the why so everything has to be suboptimal and one of their suboptimalities was uh, the goalpost has a net. You gotta have a net, right? Right. At the top, it wasn't connected. So there was this <laughs> big hole. hole right there. Kid kicked it right in the hole <laughs> from from distance. I'm like, uh, we were like on the sideline. I, I think that just went in, and the they the two refs got together and, and disallowed it. So it was a goal kick. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm not gonna really. Yeah, like, we were doing uh, well. We were like, um, I think that went in. <laughs> I think that went through. We think that went into goal. I didn't really push it. And then the funny part was, is I was talking to him at practice the other night. I got, I got bone to pick with you. You, you didn't give us a goal. Like, yeah, I know. My assistant after the game come said, yeah, I think that was a goal. Like, you got to say something in the game, dude. Yeah. Can't say it after A few the days night. later doesn't help us. Oh. I mean, at the end of the day, it really didn't matter. We we had. If it was, you know, I mean, if handily. it was a tie game, that well, it's still matter. the why. I'm not. I, I don't get too bent out of shape about the scores in these games and winning and losing. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but it was. It <laughs> Somebody was might want to fix that. <laughs> then we. <laughs> then I had my little team, 
that I ended up being late because they had me in back-to-back games. Whoops. And the older kids ran long. Right. It's a little bit longer game, and things went on. I showed up in the first, like, they were playing the game when I showed up there, and one of the, one of the parents was coaching. I jumped in, and we did better after I jumped in. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I... Yeah. The, the parent was a, is actually one of the assistant coaches for the football team, the Rams football oh, okay. team in Frankfurt. Okay. He's used to directing kids. He's yeah. not a soccer guy. Though. Yeah, but he knows And he didn't to... really know what we were trying to do or what I was hoping to accomplish yeah. or anything like that. He was just kind of lining them up and, and having them play. Go play. Yeah. Which is fine. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. It's it's interesting. I, I, as I've been working with these six- and seven-year-olds, I'm beginning to realize more and more how much I have to define everything. And I begin to realize more and more they don't understand. We're on offense. We're attacking. I don't think they know what attacking means. Hmm. I don't think they know what offense means. I don't think they know what defense means. I don't think they know what defending is. Nope. The terminology, and, and that's, I think, some of the gap I have between, hey, we're attacking, let's spread out, get open. They just kind of stare yeah. at me like uh, i don't know someone's got to throw it in uh yeah it's kind of like a 911 call you gotta do <laughs> you throw it in you get it because well but the the problem know. is is that's not soccer and soccer you've got to learn the sport i cannot micro direct you eventually it's like okay one of some one of you threw one of you four go get the ball we gotta throw it in we've yeah, talked about throwings this is how to throw it in going to be able to pick who because they're either all going to go or none well that's fine i don't care if they all go as long as one of them gets it picks it up and throws it in that's all i care (laughs) about over time they'll be like oh it's out i'm close i will pick it up and throw it in that's that's the process at least is yeah someone one of you has to go get it okay anybody three of you go run whoever picks it up throw it in okay we're good All I can visualize is all four of them going over yes. there and fighting over the ball. Well, that could be fresh. <laughs> well, no, usually someone gets to it and picks it up, and no one's like, I thought I was supposed to throw it in. I'm like, well, he's got the ball. He's throwing it in. Back up. <laughs> That's how it he works. You got there first. You exactly. want to do it, you got to run there fast. You got to get there first if you want to throw it in. Then the, the goal is, well, hey, now the ball's out. Someone's like, you didn't get to throw it in last time. They're going to be like, Shh, I got it. Yeah. So it works out that way when they all run yeah. for it. You, it. It gives them motivation to do it next time themselves. There you go. Okay. I see that. Now I'm going to have to just go back and rework. We're going to go back. To, I got practice tonight. We're going to start with terminology and begin to define. Mm-hmm. We got the ball. What does that mean? That means we are attacking. Let's define attacking. What are the you're th- beating up the other team what, with fists. <laughs> what are the things we can do to help us to attack? And begin to kind of lay out the different things we could potentially do to score a goal. And we'll talk about defense. What does that mean? What are the things we can do if we're mm-hmm. on defense to defend? And then we're going to build from there. There you go. That's my goal. I, it's been a while since I've worked with young kids. So it's beginning to figure out how to coach them. It's like talking to adults that are distracted. <laughs> to a great extent, that's true. I, they've also been, most of them have been playing for a couple of years. That's good. Which is why I assumed that they understood... Terminology. Some of the terminology. Yeah. I, I get they don't understand all the terminology. Yeah. But you should understand 
offense and defense if you've been playing soccer, any sport, for more than five minutes. Because just about every team sport has an offensive phase and a defensive phase. Basketball, football, um, I don't know, what are the other team sports kids play? Baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, you're batting, you're on offense. If you're fielding, you're on defense. The well, it depends if the, you know, how much the coaches previously have used those terminologies. So. And that's the real problem. It's why soccer, so it's adults who volunteered who may or may not know anything about soccer coaching. Right. And I haven't had them before, therefore they've not heard the terminology from me before, and therefore we are... Starting from scratch. We're going to be starting from scratch three, four weeks into the season. <laughs> Halfway through, we're going to start from scratch. I, I wish I'd been able to figure this out two or three weeks ago. Yeah. But that's okay. It is... It's part, you know, partly knowing developmentally where they are at six and seven. It's been a while since your kid's been that young. Correct. And, and, I, and I realize that eight and nine is the age where they can comprehend more and process yeah. more. It's first grade is where they begin to comprehend things. But since I'm dealing with six and sevens, half of them are in kindergarten and half of them are in first grade. Half of them can yeah. kind of get what I'm saying. The other half are like, well, the sun's really bright. It's burning my <laughs> retina. <laughs> I doubt they're, well, they might be using the word retina. No, they probably are. I'm just using that. Burning my eyeballs. Eyeballs, yes. Now I can't see. I see spots when I look everywhere. (laughs) After we played soccer, we traveled down for a fundraiser for the ACA, which you were at. Yes, I was. My uh, son's school. They were doing a fundraiser at Mm -hmm. the Sig Lusher, uh, one of the local breweries. Yep. That was, was a, fun. A, a fun event. Yeah, it was good. It was nice to uh, hang out with people and not be the preschool director. I got to talk to a lot of parents just hanging out, which was, it was nice. It was really nice. I had a good time. I really didn't know a lot of people there. I pretty much just sat there and talked to my parents. They showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, my husband I really didn't. You, should, you could have gone up and talked to my husband because he didn't know anybody either, and he went and hid <laughs> and watched NASCAR. I mean, my wife knows a lot of the moms. Yeah. From the other school events, from being on parent council, I don't really attend any of those. I, I don't no. know any of the parents. I mean, my wife generally picked him up from school. Mm-hmm. I've only been doing that here in the last year or so. Well, and even then, you're even just, then I don't see them. You don't see any of the parents. But you're when you when you're picking up kids. the younger kids, a lot of times she'll go up and talk to them and things of that nature. You don't necessarily, well, especially if you're, if you're in late care. Yeah, if you're in after school care, if you're in the after school care, which is see. what he was always in. And yeah. She would go in and, and talk to the different parents and begin to yeah. meet all the different parents. Yeah. I mean, I know Alex's students from Montessori's parents. They had events where you'd all come in and watch yeah. him. I met them, but, like, none of them were there. <laughs> it was a, there was a lot going on. There was a dance recital that, like, half of our student population was involved in. So there were a lot of kids walking through between shows that were. There was that them. event. There's some concert in Lexington that got a sucked Chris a bunch Stapleton, of people. And yeah, you, that had been delayed for three years, and so you know everybody. They were definitely going. People had tickets. The other side of it in Louisville, you had Thunder over Louisville, which yes. was an all-day huge event. They had an air show all day, and once it gets dark, they have the, the fireworks. fireworks. Yeah. That probably, I'm sure suck some people away yeah no i know quite a few that went to that, <laughs> including you all including us yeah we 
My wife, of course, volunteers for the last hour. That's when she works six to seven. <laughs> About seven thirty, we get out of there, and we're trying to get to Louisville for Thunder at nine thirty. Ooh, I didn't think we'd make it. We uh, actually got lucky. We kind of came in. We went around. We took one of the kind of northern roads near seventy one. Okay, just rode that into downtown. There's very few people on it. Oh wow! We parked. At Melwood, which is about three or so miles away. <laughs> Ooh. That's the smart place to park, actually, for Thunder. The further away you park, the better off you are. Yes. We walk in the three miles. or It had to be three miles. It was like 8,000 steps. Did you have your parents steps. with you? It was just Alex and Jenny. Okay. Just the three of us. The three of you. Okay. We yeah. got down there without too much. Coming back was a little more challenging. Alex started... His feet were getting tired on the way back. I bet. It was a longer walk. We walk down there. We get there probably 15 minutes before the fireworks oh, wow. show. And we, we wander our way through and, and get a, a pretty good spot. They had some drones beforehand, which was pretty cool. They did like a oh, light show with drones and had some different things. And that oh, was cool. That was pretty exciting. And the fireworks were, it, it's thunder. If you haven't been, it's a, it's a spectacle. TV does no justice to it at all. It is something you should see in person. My husband has always said that about Thunder, but my, for me, um, in Massachusetts, they have the Boston Pops playing on the Charles River, and they do the fireworks for Patriots Day, and that's a you know that's a live orchestra, and it's 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 amazing, and and it's it's I'm sure it's, you know, to me, I mean, I was hanging off of a bridge. I went several years and. I mean, it's just so much fun. It's just, you can see it all over the city, just like Louisville. So. Well, Thunder's unique in that it's probably a 20 or 30 minute, 20 minute fireworks show of pretty heavy barrage of fireworks. Mm-hmm. For a while, it was the largest fireworks in North America. I, I think New York now has passed it up for their 4th of July. I think they might have a slightly bigger fireworks show. For many years, it was the biggest fireworks show in, in northern Kentucky. Yeah. It's still or in North, North, America. North America. It's still one of the bigger ones, which makes it really kind of impressive. It's, it's not just like one a couple fireworks go up and stuff. It's like yeah. a constant barrage of Well, fireworks. I mean, when you it's got the Boston impressive. Pops going, da 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 it's pretty wild. So, yeah, I need to go see Thunder sometime, too. I would see Thunder eat. It's... It's but I think I'd like to get a hotel on. and watch it off of the balcony and make my reservations two years ahead of time instead of hiking six miles. Well, you don't have to hike that far. You can go earlier. You can watch the plane show because they do have a pretty extensive plane show. It's a steady show of planes flying through. Just driving out of there. Then you just night. have to sit in traffic. That's why, that's why I'm thinking hotel. <laughs> I won't drive home at midnight. Well, what time's can, the show over? It's over about ten ish. Ten. Then we got out to the car about 11 got home about 11:45. i was thinking about racing on sunday morning and yeah. i got home i was, I was as i was driving home i was like mm, <laughs> this probably isn't going to happen in the morning well i i got some of my stuff out pumped up the tires in my race bike kind of put my bag on the floor put a couple things in it then went about my day and went to thunder and all that and we got to Got back that got up that morning, walked around a little bit, and was like, "No, this isn't going to happen." It's I, I have a hard time doing a race where I'm just not anywhere close. I, I went out and trained later that day, mm-hmm. and I remember going out on the bike because I did a run 
that afternoon and a little bit later that evening because we had a soccer, King's Hammer soccer game. I ran before it, and then afterwards I went out on the bike, and I didn't feel all that great on the bike. I, I only imagined that if I'd gotten four hours less sleep, right. my bike would have been, it would have been painful. It would just been, everything would have been so hard. I was not feeling well last week, and I was registered for the race, and um, I had everything packed, but sort of the same thing. It was, you know, different reasons, but I, I just wasn't feeling real well, and I knew I had to cycle the race on Sunday afternoon, and I was like, okay. You know, I could have probably made it through the race and done okay, and then just if I'd been able to sleep for a few hours or something afterwards. I mean, I was just not physically feeling well. It was a long week last week. And, if, uh, if Saturday so hadn't like, been... Yeah. If no. Saturday hadn't been get up at 5.30 to go swim, then sit in the sun for a big chunk of the, the morning soccer coaching soccer, and talking yeah. to parents, and then going to the ACA and kind of standing around talking that, sitting some, and then walking down to Thunder yeah. and back, if I could have got a couple hour nap that afternoon, I I would have definitely raced. Even if yeah. I'd gone to Thunder, I probably still would have raced. I just I had a, I had a pretty packed Saturday as well, and it was like, no, Sunday morning, I was like, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. We'll give up that race entry. It's okay. I woke up Sunday morning. My body batteries are like 70%. I'm like, oh. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I walked around. I, I tried to give it a go. I just, no, it wasn't going to happen. I'm, I'm a little sad because I'm now 50. I would have been low man on the totem pole in the race. Yeah. Yeah. Could have won my age group. I didn't even look at the times. I Unless they found unless some new people in my age group are running up, I, I would have probably. Well, that was won. the other thing too. I knew several people that were coming that had never done that race before. It seemed to it was good weather, so it was attracting a lot of people. And I was like, I just don't. Yeah, it would I'm not have attracted a lot of people. I, you know, I would have probably done well. I usually yeah. do well in those races, mm-hmm. but I would have been tired. It would have it would not have been a, a fast time for me. Yeah, it would have been a, a solid time, but it would have not been fast the one of our master swimmers he wrecked on the bike oh no cracked some ribs <gasps> oh he finished the race though so there you go ouch <laughs> oh my god oh my god i haven't heard the story from him maybe we'll find out next week that yeah. was wild see if he's if he comes back to swim wow Alrighty, well, what did you want to talk about this week? We wanted to expand a little bit more on running. Yeah, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about running form and some things you can do to kind of help with it. Uh, One of the things that we talked about last week was foot strike and how that matters in Mm -hmm. people who overstride. We talked about you really don't want to do that. What I wanted to do is kind of talk about that for a minute and go, what allows what is it that allows us to overstride and that is really our shoes because we are shod <laughs> we can overstride i can reach out forward and land on my heel because it's going to be protected by the shoe itself if you were to stand up and try to jump up and down on your heels it would hurt a lot oh my God. <laughs> yeah that would that would be really painful that would be really painful but yet we do that running, and the big reason we do that is because we wear these shoes that are heavy. And shoes allow us to be biometrically poor <laughs> and cause us to be terminology slow. for it. Yeah, allows <laughs> you to just be a hot mess. <laughs> just to be a hot mess. At, at the same time, while 
that is true for allowing poor techniques. I, I'm going to make the caveat that shoes can be a necessity for people with bad feet. Yes. They can help you correct some biometrical things that you have that are just, what would be the good word for that? Naturally, you do not have perfect feet. They are suboptimal for Not everybody is completely symmetrical and has perfect feet. And, you know, I mean, I'm bald-legged and, you know, there's all kinds of, not everybody Because feet have different shapes, there is a bell curve. Yes. In the middle is the perfect foot, and you start going down to less and less perfect feet. The less and less perfect feet people, the, the unfortunate people, need shoes to help correct things like high arches mm-hmm. are not good for running. <laughs> it becomes really hard on the foot to do that. We can put padding in there to kind of support that arch and allow you to run. Mm-hmm. With that said, shoes can also allow you to do things that you wouldn't normally do with them and that is overstriding. If you did not have shoes on, you would not overstride. <laughs> Cuz you couldn't. You couldn't I couldn't reach forward and jump forward enough to land on my heel. It would hurt. Mm-hmm. And really what I wanted to kind of say is that, you know, if you find yourself as an overstrider, someone who has that really long reach out and you're really hitting with the heel on every mm-hmm. strike, one of the big Phenomenons, I guess, in the 90s, 2000s, was mm-hmm. barefoot running. Right. And you actually there's saw. There's still a lot of people. There's that still do people. It. To, and you see people out there on the concrete running barefoot, and I'm like, what are you doing, people? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> the concept behind barefoot running was actually pretty simple. You can't make mistakes in your foot placement barefoot. Correct. It is nearly impossible to land with an overstride. It's just going to hurt. Now, the other side of that is you could land too far forward and get up on your calves mm-hmm. too much, land on the balls of your feet rather than the midfoot kind of underneath you. Some people do that. It, that leads to like calf fatigue and things of that nature if you try to run barefoot. But yes, there are people that still run barefoot, or you might see them in like a very minimalist shoe, like the five-finger shoe, right. which are really fun shoes to wear around. They're great for trail running, actually. I don't have a pair, but I know a lot of people that do have them, and they use them more for trail running just because they can maneuver around the rocks and things like that a little easier. I I guess so, as long as it's soft out there. I can't imagine when it gets hard packed in, like, August running in them. No, that would hurt. In the spring where it's a little softer, it would be a little bit better. Yeah. Barefoot running came along to kind of deal with this overstriding. The problem with barefoot running is... Unless you have, like, perfect form and perfect feet, you're going to probably get hurt. (laughs) At the same time, the concept behind it is very valid of that, Mm -hmm. hey, I want to start working on my stride mechanics. Barefoot running can bridge that gap from Mm -hmm. me being an overstrider to running with that more central strike, that more midfoot strike. Mm -hmm. What I recommend people to do is find a grassy area that is free of twigs, debris. Find a golf course. A golf course is probably a good spot. If you if they'll let you. Well, the other good spot, we were in Cleveland for that race. Oh, yeah. You were out with my son running in one of the parks there. Yeah. park that didn't have any trees. Nope. It was just a big grass field in the middle of the urban city. I'm trying to think if I even had shoes on. 
I think you took your shoes off. To I think. Run. I, oh yeah, because we had been walking around. I didn't have running shoes on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's an ideal place to run. Yeah. There's not going to be much in that grass. Yeah. Not going to be much litter or anything else. People generally don't walk through the grass and drop stuff. Yeah. It wasn't a dog party. <laughs> yeah. It's the other thing you got to watch out for. Yeah. yeah, avoid the, uh, the dog parks would Steaming, be good. Steaming uh, piles, yeah. A golf course, any place like that, in any place you have some yard, what you would do is you take off your shoes, you run 20, 30 yards. You don't have to go very far. Mm-hmm. Go up and back a couple times. Kind of get a feel for your body position. Feel for how your foot is striking the ground. Throw some shoes on. Try to replicate. Run mm-hmm. a little bit with shoes. Come back. Take your shoes off. Run barefoot for a little bit. Put your shoes back on. Run shod. And try to replicate that format. If you are someone who is kinetic in your learning, which a lot of people, you know, they're visual, they're auditory and kinetic, but everybody can learn through feel yeah. to some nudge. And that's a good way to do it, especially if you don't have, like, cameras. You don't have someone to analyze all your stroke. Right. I'm exactly. just trying to do the bubble gum. How can we... Yeah. Gain better technique on a shoestring budget of let me take my shoes off and run on some grass. <laughs> it doesn't get any cheaper than that. <laughs> I know for me, whenever I, I'm not a heel striker, thank goodness, but um, whenever I run barefoot, I, because I have a dance background, I instantly start falling on, landing on the ball of my foot because some when people. you leap, you know, you, you land through your foot. And it's hard for me barefoot to actually land on a you know midfoot strike, but um, it's like oh, run to and I can't replicate it when the shoe once I put the shoes back on, then I'm back to midfoot. So which is where I'm supposed to be. Right, but. it's not as big a deal. Yeah, it's mostly for the people who are really stretch out and, and really yeah. hit that heel. Mm-hmm. People with slow cadence that have a lot of bounce to them. That's where this can help. It it, it can help you figure out how to do. Last time we talked about the old man shuffle, or at least I said old man shuffle, the, the shuffle step. It helps you kind of figure out how to run kind of like that, mm-hmm. that you can potentially bring over to shod running, mm-hmm. which is wearing shoes. There we go. Which is good. And the, the other thing, as I was running recently, doing some of my hard works so out, it's another kind of cue to getting it right. When you're running with good form, it almost feels like someone's got some string attached to your belly button and pulling it along that way. Mm-hmm. When you're really, and this is hard to get when you're running slow, but when you start running like a 5K, 10K paces, a little bit faster pace, yeah. you can get that feeling because when I have that forward lean and I'm tall, it's going to feel like it's pulling from your midsection and not from any place else, that forward pull. Right. If you feel like your shoulders are getting pulled, then you know you're bending Then you know ways. you're bending over yeah. too much. Yep. And the best way to try to learn that, again, is to get that high posture and then kind of start leaning. Because you'll, you'll feel it kind of down a little bit lower because that's where the, the gravity's pulling mm-hmm. you down. That's why it feels like it's pulling you forward uh, from there. So that's just another thing to kind of visual to think about when mm-hmm. running. Again, when you're out there running, pay attention to your shoulders. Make sure they don't you don't pull them back. I was doing a hard run the other day, and I could feel myself. It wasn't so much I was arcing my back, but I, I could feel myself pulling my shoulders up to help try to get that straight posture. When I don't want to pull my shoulders up, I want to keep my shoulders loose and relaxed, I want to use my midsection to keep pulling mm-hmm. up. And I have to keep reminding myself to relax the shoulders, relax the shoulders. Just something else to keep in mind when, you, when you're out there running and you're paying attention to your form, especially as you wear, get tired. Yeah. The 
the things that you have that I look for. If I'm looking for them, I'm sure a lot of other people are, <laughs> can feel the same things. I know. Uh, I mean, I've just recently started back. I ran last night and I it struggled bus. I mean, I was like gasping. It's like okay. I got to make room for my lungs. I got to make room to breathe, you know, struggling. I, I knew that I had to have been hunching forward because I couldn't mm-hmm. breathe. And I was like, okay, is it my cardio or is it because I'm hunched over? Probably so. a little bit both. Probably a little bit both, both yeah. <laughs> Once I got going, it was okay. I did did a few walk breaks, still doing that. But it was like, okay, breathe first and then see where you go. So, yeah, good suggestions. All right. Have a good week. If you like us. Give us five stars on iTunes. Yep. Thumbs up. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button. Subscribe. If you've enjoyed this content and you want to see more content, hit the bell if you want to be notified when we upload. We upload weekly. Last week we talked about running form. I think that might make some good video series in the coming weeks. We might do some things on uh, run drills, hopefully, (laughs) in the coming weeks, (laughs) as time permits us in, in our endeavors. And as always, you know, have a great day if you want to.